I'm just honored to be here with you this morning and to usher in the new year 2021 in the building. And so what you do when you're up to bat first, all you got to do is just get on base, right? (laughs) But I'm here to tell you, I feel like I'm going to swing hard this morning. And I feel like I'm going to swing hard because I have a word for you this morning that's just been burning in my heart for a few months now. And I've been wanting to share it because I, I, I just couldn't get it together. But the Lord has just been showing me all kinds of different things over the last two months. And uh, I didn't think it was the right time. And I'm glad that I didn't because I really feel like it was meant for right now. Amen. And I feel like the Lord's really been kind of speaking to me about this topic specifically. And I just can't shake it. And so I'm excited to finally share it with you guys this morning. And I also have a word of the year for you this morning. And so I have a word, the message, and then I have literally a word uh, for you this year. And that word that I have for you this year is shift. The word that I have for you this year is shift, a change in strategy without a change in vision. And that's your word for 2021. And that's the word that I'm going to be preaching on this morning, because I feel like 2020 has just been a year for us to see God shake everything that can be shaken, to expose the enemy for a shifting that's going to happen in the earth. And I truly believe that if you activate this word, not only will it change you personally, but I feel like it's going to change those around you and also change the circumstances around you as well. Amen? But in order for that to happen, that shifting has to start with us. We have to shift. Shift to what? We have to shift to his presence. And that's what the Lord wanted me to speak with you about this morning. I'm going to open up with a scripture this morning that I feel like will just set this whole message into place and and bring my whole message together. And then I'm going to bring some teaching with it. And I think it's really amazing because if you guys haven't seen um, Sammy's 10 days of fireside chat that she did just before Christmas. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to what she had to say. There was a lot of really encouraging stuff in there and, 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 and how she broke it down. And it's just really interesting to me because a lot of what she's been saying is a lot of what God has been speaking to me as well these last few months, including this scripture right here. She said the same thing that I was feeling when I read this scripture And what's even more amazing is I read this scripture and I felt the same thing before I even heard her say it. And this scripture that I want to open up with is Luke 2, 6 through 7. Just to kind of give you some biblical context, this is when um, uh, Mary was coming and she was giving birth to Jesus. Luke 2, 6 through 7, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son which is Jesus, right? She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him on a, in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That word that says no room is very interesting to me, and it's what stood out to me, and it's also what stood out to Sammy as well. Here is the light of the world coming into the world, but every place else is occupied. The rooms are filled The inns are filled. Everything is occupied. Why is that? Because the city is busy, right? And here's what the Lord wanted me to speak with you about this morning. The thing that really wants to fill you up has come, but you're already filled and occupied 
with so many other things around in this world that you're busy. That the thing that really could fill you, there's no room in your life for him. I need you to look at your neighbor like they stole your after church lunch money. <laughs> I want you to say neighbor. Say, oh neighbor. You got to make room. Got to make room. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the anointing to preach your word, the seed of God, and we thank you that it falls upon the good ground called our hearts. Lord God, we j just make it take deep root in us, sprout out and bear much fruit in our lives as we give your name all the glory. We thank you for the anointing to preach and we thank you for even more the anointing to hear what you say to us this morning. We lift you up, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, the one who was, who is, and is to come. We bless you for your presence in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen, amen. I really feel sorry for you guys because the Lord's really been speaking a lot to me um, for about the past two months. And so I have about, about, a, about two months of studies. <laughs> so I am locked and loaded, but that can be dangerous, right? Because when you got lots of bullets, you shoot them really fast, right? But I'm here to tell you, I just ask that you just bear with me as I unpack everything that God's been kind of showing me the last two months. But we're going to have a good time this morning, amen? I also see that uh, a lot of you guys have already gone ahead and take your shoes off, and I appreciate that. <laughs> For those of you guys that are tuning in with us online, if you do not know, as people were coming in, I was asking them to take their shoes off. That will make more sense later on in my message, but if you want to go ahead and take your shoes off now as well, I mean, I know you're in, in home, so the, you probably already have your shoes off, but if you want to go ahead and do that, just go ahead. <laughs> Uh, and know that it's because, you know, it's, it's not because I'm coming to step on somebody's, sh on somebody's toes at all or anything, but even though I think this message may step on some, on some toes, but I feel like something significant on this word. And the last time I spoke, I mentioned that it was time for us to rise up as a church and be the church, right? You guys remember that? That was the big word, right? For us to rise up. And we still need to rise up. But something that the Lord has been speaking to me about is that in order for us to rise up, we have to first be raised up. Come on. In order for us to be raised up, we have to shift and make room for the Father to raise us up. Come on, because there's a lot of things going on in our hearts right now, a lot of emotions that are being stirred up, and if we're not making room for him, we may just end up raising up the wrong voice and adding to all the chaos that's been going on. And if I'm being honest, we may even be doing more damage than good, because who is the world looking at? Christians, right? God's people. Where is God? But if they can't see God in us, come on. But there are times that we're not given a good example because we are taking information from the world around us, and it should be the opposite. And so what happens is that most of the words, if you want to be honest, cause more division in our hearts, which ultimately means it's going to bring division to the church. And that's why we have to make room for him so that we don't take somebody else's word or interpretation. 
My sheep will hear and obey my voice, the Lord says, and the strangers, they will not. Come on, I'm telling you, if you, do, if you make room for the Father and spend time with him, you will know his voice, and a stranger, you will not. We've got to make room for him so that we can truly know for ourselves and not just take what somebody else said from what somebody else said. Have you guys ever played the telephone game? Right? You got a bunch of people lined up in a line and the first person reads something. And then they, and they turn around and they whisper in somebody's ear. Then that person turns around and whisper in somebody's ear. By the end, the message is totally different from when it really started. The only person who really knows what was really said was the one that read it first. And that's what we have to do. We have to get in the Bible for ourselves and not take somebody else's word or somebody else's interpretation. There are some people that can tell you about God, and then there are some people that know him. Knowledge puffs you up. And let me tell you, a man with an experience with the Heavenly Father is never at the mercy of a man that has head knowledge. See, you can quote scriptures until you're blue in the face, but if you don't know the author of the book, it has no power when it comes out of your mouth. Depart from me. I never knew you. We are living in the days of Eli. The Bible says in the, day, in the time of Eli, there was no widespread revelation. That does not mean that they weren't preaching the word. It just means that there wasn't anything on the word. There was no substance. Eli was still preaching the word. He was still ministering before the Lord, but it says the word of the Lord was rare in that day. And here we are living 2,000 years after the book of Acts, so we should be like this most passionate, fiery generation, but yet we're not even living like the book of Acts. We're still living like we're in the, we're in the Old Testament, a book of rules. That's the way we, we, we view the book now. And can I tell you, that is not how this book should be interpreted. It's not what, what the book was made for. We found ourselves all the way back until Eli's days where the word of God was rare in that day. There is preaching on what feels like every corner of America. Everybody has something to say. Everybody has a motivational message. Makes us feel good, right? There is preaching on podcasts. There is preaching on the internet. There is preaching on an app. Everything has got an app. There is preaching, 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 yet there's not a lot of revelation. And the reason why I know there's not a lot of, a lot of revelation is because I haven't seen a lot of change. You see, preaching can entertain you, but revelation changes you. <sighs> In the days of Eli, they were more concerned with what they wanted to do. They were more concerned with their opinions than to take care of the things that God has given them responsibility over. And so what happens is you begin to compromise. And man, that sounds like the world today. We are compromising with everything. We are propping up the world in all of its behavior, and we're beginning to compromise with the world. And now we have a whole generation growing up in a church that's not seeking his presence, but instead is seeking the applause of the world. It's a great word. It made me feel good. Keep it up. I'm going to share that. I'm going to let the whole world know about it. Great word. Great job. That motivated me. Oh, yeah, that made me feel good so that I can keep sinning. 
Man, no. The Lord spoke to me in a dream about two months ago, and he said, the spirit of Babylon has come upon this nation. And that's what I've been studying about and writing this message on for the past two months. So uh, just to kind of give you some biblical context, Babylon in the Old Testament, so you guys are understand. And I want you guys to really understand what I'm saying here and, and, and take note because it really kind of ties into my message. You guys have, have got to understand what I'm talking about here. Babylon in the Old Testament, it was introduced to us in Genesis as Babel, the city where human beings decided to make a name for themselves in defiance of the word of God. It's the city that gave birth to an empire that ruled the known world and imposed a worldview upon all the people it conquered. Who did it conquer? God's people. Because watch this. It's the empire that destroys Jerusalem, burns the temple, and takes the people of God into exile. It's what they say, the uh, theologians, it's what they say is the beast that almost swallowed up the bride, which is the church. And then you go to the New Testament, right? If you go to the New Testament, it should be up there. Peter uses the word Babylon as a symbolic way of referring to the new world culture at war with the people of God. Peter was also saying that Rome was the new Babylon. It's the new mistress who would seduce people away from their worship with God. Fast forward to Revelation 17, where the reference of Babylon is obviously symbolic. John is carried away into the spirit, into the wilderness where he saw, and this is what he saw, Revelation 17, three through six. It says he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple scarlet and was glittering with gold precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Look, we should be at our place in our lives where we testify, but instead we are, more consent, we are more concerned about testing a lie, right? Come on, hashtag fact check, right? Does that really, is that really what it says? You know, is that true? The Babylon is the spirit of seductive culture actively engaged in deception, It takes God out, the the deception. It takes God out of everything. And the destruction of God's people. If if God's people do not take God out of their life, then we have to destroy God's people. She rides upon the beast, meaning that she is propped up by forces of of anti-Christian government. And that's why when we see in the book of Revelation, Jesus calling his bride back to himself, what kingdom does he deal with? He deals with. With Babylon. Guys, we have to desire his presence. We have to shift into his presence. And man, I love my brothers Jay and Todd. We've been kind of hashing this thing out and talking about this for the last few weeks about being radical. When what does that look like? We have to desire his presence so much that we are radical. 
We have to be willing to sacrifice, to fight, and to even die for his presence. His presence is all that should matter. And those are the three topics that I want to talk with you about this morning. Yes, I'm getting ready to preach finally, right? We have to sacrifice, fight, and to die for his presence. Those are the things that we have to be willing to do. And I'm going to talk about three very common stories out of the Bible to represent each one. And I ask that as we go to these texts that you wouldn't just tune me out. I know that you've heard these stories and you've sang songs about them since early days of Sunday school. And I know there's been lessons after lessons after lessons about these stories. But let's just walk through this this morning because I feel like the Lord wants to encourage our souls. Amen? Let's take a look at the first one, the sacrifice. The sacrifice. We're going to talk about Moses and the burning bush. The first thing we're going to have to do is we have to get ready for the presence of the Lord, right? And that means that we have to sacrifice. We have to get rid of some stuff, right? Because sin cannot be in the presence of the Lord. And so we have to sacrifice. We have to get rid of some things. And I used this analogy the other day with my brothers the other night. In the natural, your father says not to do something, right? But your friends are edging you on like, come on, come on, let's just go do it, right? And so you listen to your friends, and what you end up doing is you partnering with your friends. Now you just, you just disobeyed your father, your natural father, and what's going to happen? Right? <laughs> Go to your room. You're grounded. Right? Go to your room. You're grounded. And now when you're grounded, that means you're separated because you're in another room, right? You're separated from your natural father. When you disobey your natural father and you're grounded, now you're separated, right? You go in your other room. Go to your room and think about what you've done. And then you come out and then you apologize. And now you're back in his presence again. It's the same thing with a heavenly father. You sin, you disobey him, and you open up that door and partner with the enemy. And because you have done that, you have now disobeyed your father and partnered with the enemy, which now you, means you are separated from the heavenly father. And now you have to repent, apologize, say you're sorry, sacrifice, because that's what repentance is, is repenting, getting rid of, right? And then turning away from, get rid of, and so you can be back in his presence again. And to illustrate this, I want to look at a passage with you in Exodus 3. We're going to be talking about Moses and the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And it says this, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire, say fire, fire, from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over aside and see this strange sight as to why this bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come any closer. Take your sandals off for the place from where you are standing is holy ground. 
So some of you guys are wondering this morning, why did Pastor Corey ask us to take our shoes off? That's just kind of weird, right? <laughs> so after reading that verse, I, kinda, I, I hope that you kind of get an understanding as to why uh, I asked you to take your shoes off. And, and by now, I hope you have an idea. So if you want to go ahead and change your mind and take your shoes off, go ahead. For the place of which you are standing now is holy ground. But going back to that scripture, now a lot of times we say things like, well, if God would use a burning bush, come on, then I would have listened and taken my shoes off. Come on. But those miracles, supernatural things just do not happen to us anymore, at least not to me. And here's the thing that we need to know about the story. You see, in this story, the miracle is not the burning bush. Come on. Anybody knows that there are times that with the right elements can be involved that a plant could just naturally catch on fire, right? You guys hear about the the wildfires going on back back out west, right? There's nothing supernatural about a burning bush because that could just happen with the natural elements. But here's the thing. Moses took enough time to look at it to see that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed, Then Moses said, now I should turn aside and look into this thing. The world is so manipulative right now that it will get you to believe something that's a falsehood because of what you see or don't see. The world will distract you and make you see something different. Take COVID, for instance. Right now, the big thing that's going around is vaccinations. Do I take it or do I not take it? Take a look at the the next slide. I totally believe in this 100%. I do. And And if you do, I want you to raise your hand as well. If you believe in this 100%, I need you to raise your hand. Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't, I honestly, truly believe, I, I feel bad for you if you do not believe in this. Because I believe that every single person deserves and needs a vacation. Right? (laughs) I I heard some people talking about vaccinations this morning. They said something about losing hair and gaining hair. I'm like, give me that vaccination now. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) But honestly, some of you guys are like, what? Like, Like, what do you mean? But if you read what it says, it says, I am 100% for mandatory vacations. That's what it says. But see, <laughs> but see, a lot of you, what you did, what happens is you see, you believe what you see instead of what you read. Come on. And this is what the world does to us all the time. It says a little thing to get our emotions stirred up. COVID, vaccinations, ooh, it gets our emotions stirred up, right? And then they paint you a little picture to kind of get you to kind of see things differently. And boom, and now it got us arguing with each other. In the body of Christ, our own brothers and sisters, now we're arguing with each other for what? Because of vacations? (laughs) Come on, right? (laughs) Man. So many times God will speak to us through the little mundane things. We just don't hang around long enough to see if he's actually in it. And you already have your own opinion about it. In other words, we think that God is only in the supernatural burning bush things, right? But the reality is we have a whole lot of supernatural burning bushes, but we just don't see them like Moses did. 
We think that God is only in the bigger, significant things. But I found that with my personal walk with God, that he'll, he'll, he'll begin to lead me and direct me in, 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 into the things, into the little mundane things, because he wants to see if I'm passionate enough to seek him in the little as I would for the big things. A lot of times, God will speak to us in the mundane things, and when God saw Moses turn aside, when God saw Moses take it seriously and enter into something that was more intimate, then God spoke to him. You see, a lot of us are waiting for God to speak to us when you spend six hours on Facebook. Well, if God could just tell me, well, if God could get you to shut up long enough on Twitter, right, and quit trying to figure out how many double taps you got on Instagram or whether or not he or she swiped right or left. Come on. Moses turned aside, and when, Moses, and, and when God saw him turn aside and look in it, he says, Moses, Moses. Why is that? Why would God say that? Because God says, if you draw near to me first, then I'll draw near to you. So if you want God to speak to you, then you got to make room for God to speak to you. And that's why John Baptist's message was make room for God. Prepare the way of the Lord. And if, if you want the presence of God, then you have got to make yourself present with God. Come on. Here's the thing about the story of Moses. Moses is coming into the presence, a personal encounter with the living God. And in order for him to draw closer, God asked him for his shoes. And then I got thinking. What if our generation had the same encounter that Moses did? And God looked at us and he said, you can get close to me, but first take your shoes off. This will be our first excuse. But God is just a pair of shoes. Probably what some of you guys were thinking when you first walked in here. It's just a pair of shoes. But God, it's just a kiss. But God, it's just one look. But God, it's just one night. Ladies, it's just a pair of shoes. Y'all be like, but, but, but he loves me. Right? No, he loves the fact that you've compromised even though you tried to tell him you're a woman of God. What he loves about you is when you quit saying yes to Jesus and start saying yes to him. Come on, right? But, but he loves me. Until you cut him off, we'll find some boyfriends to disciple, right? Come on, fellas, it's just a pair of shoes. Y'all be like, but, but God, it's not technically sex, Right? Come on. Man, here's the thing, though. If you don't give him your shoes, you will have to be the one to continue walking in them. But if you give him your shoes, come on. If you give him your shoes, come on. If you give him that boyfriend, he'll give you your husband. Come on. If you, come on, fellas. If you give him that pornography, he'll give you your wife. Come on, right? If you give him your shoes, he'll take you places that you could never go by yourself. It's just a pair of shoes. And I know what you're thinking, Corey, it don't take all that. It don't take all that. It's just a pair of shoes. It doesn't take all that. 
I don't have to take my shoes off to do all that. But here's the thing. It's not about the shoes. It's, it's whether or not your willingness to sacrifice. It's like fasting. Who's in control of who? Are you in control of that food or is that food in control of you? Is that drink in control of you or is that drink? Or are you in control of that drink? Are you in control of your sexual desires or are your sexual desires in control of you? Come on. You see, when you get touched by the fire of God, not only will he give you the power to lay down sin, but he'll give you the power to lay down those things that are not necessarily sin, but that are just a weight. That's when you know someone is really burning for him when they go beyond that's considered the Christian norm into stuff that just doesn't make sense, like tithing. The Bible requires us to give 10% of what we earn, so why would you give any more than that? It don't make any sense. It don't make any sense. Why would I give anything more than 10%? That's a new pair of shoes right there, all right? But you see, everybody wants uncommon results, but they're not willing to do uncommon things. So the reality is, we want the presence of God, but we don't want it to cost us anything. So we only want to do just enough to give us what we want, and so I'm only going to do what the Bible says to do. And that leads me to my second response. Our first response was what? It's just a pair of shoes. Our second response would be, but everybody wears them. Everybody's doing it, so it's not a big deal, right? But if you're going to change the culture, you got to quit acting like one. Look, we do not need today another bunch of people that can do it right on Sunday and then blend in with the culture Monday through Saturday. We're never going to change the culture being relevant with the culture. That's the new word in today's church is relevant. We have to fit in. We have to be relevant with the culture. Yet you become so relevant with the culture that you end up losing your intimacy with God. And now you don't have any revelation to change the culture. If you want to do your secret service Christianity, chameleon, do it under the radar Christianity, then don't expect a lot to change. Ah, but everybody's wearing them. But here's the thing. Jesus said this. This is how separated he was. He, he was telling his, his disciples, look, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I've got to do this. I got to do that. Because the prince of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Here's what he was saying. The enemy is coming, but he's not going to win because I don't have anything in me that he can attach himself to. Because when you fall into temptation or sin, you're leaving an open door for the enemy to come in. Come on, we just talked about that, right? You're partnering with the enemy. And that's why when you come to church, but you're still open to the same temptations because the prince of the world is coming, but you still have an open door. We have to sacrifice so that we are separated from him because that's what Babylon wants. They want to take the glory from God and give it to you and raise you up and make us forget about him so that we don't raise him up. And we're beginning to see that system expose and crumble, but we have to fight. But we have to know what we're fighting for. Which brings me to the next topic, the fight. David and Goliath. 
Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? And I believe that David was hungry to go after a giant. I believe that the giant was just in the way of his presence. Because when you hear the story of David and Goliath, you only hear about the victory of the underdog. Woohoo! David slayed the giant, right? That's what comes to your mind. Whenever you hear about David and Goliath, you hear the world talk about that all the time. The underdogs taking advantage of the big guy, right? That's all you hear about. That's what the world teaches you. Because that's what the world wants you to know. That's all we've been taught. That's how Babylon wants us to think about it. Babylon only cares about what you can do. And so they will highlight and celebrate you. Babylon's whole idea of success is because we slayed the giant, right? That's all we talk about. But no, if you really read it and really study it out, the only reason why that we engage with the battle of a giant in the first place is because his people stole our ark, which is the presence of God. Give you some biblical context. The ark of the covenant served as the presence of God. It should be up there. The Ark of the Covenant served as the presence of God. It was the Lord's presence that was created by instructions from God to Moses. After its creation by Moses, the Ark was then carried by the Israelites during their 40-year wandering in the desert. And whenever the Israelites camped, the Ark was then placed in a sacred tent called called the tabernacle. A few years later, the elders of Israel decided to take the Ark the presence of the Lord, out onto the battlefield to assist them against the Philistines. And then during this time, the ark, the presence of the Lord, was then captured by the Philistines. And the Philistines stole the presence of God, the ark. And yet what we take away from the story of David and Goliath is that David, the little man, the underdog, killed the giant because that's what Babylon wants us to do. That's what Babylon wants us to think. That's how Babylon wants us to see it. But we don't see the big picture. We celebrate the giant slayer, but the giant was not the reward. So Babylon says, we're going to celebrate your gifts. We're going to celebrate your titles. We're going to celebrate your position, and we're going to celebrate what you do publicly But David found something in private that actually provoked him that when he got in the presence of a giant, because the giant was speaking and insulting the very God that he experienced in the shepherd's field all by himself. It really wasn't about a giant. It was really about an ark, the presence of God, that he knew that if we could slay the giant, then we'll never have to be a slave to these Philistines, and then we can start the process of recovering what the enemy has stole from us. Because remember, they want to take God away from us. But David remembered, and he said, we are nothing if the ark, the presence, does not rest in Jerusalem. And I love this. This right here is just so profound to me, and it's what I've been talking about. I'm going to read a scripture with you guys. But to give you some biblical context, this is David going to return the ark, the presence, they got it back, right? To return the ark, and they put it on an ox cart, and the oxen stumble, and the ark, the presence of the Lord, gets mishandled by Uzzah, and Uzzah gets struck dead. And now David is now conflicted because on his way, on his journey to restore the presence, 
has now been stopped. And this is what he says, and this is, this is something that I want each and every one of you to ask yourself. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9, let's just read one verse. It says, David was now afraid of the Lord. What we need today is the fear of the Lord, amen? David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark, the presence of the Lord, back to me? David says, how can I restore? It's very personal to David. It's really not even about how it impacts the nation. It's personal. He says, how can I, how can I restore the presence back to me? Before we're ever going to fix the nation, we're going to have to make sure that the presence is restored back to me. If there's ever going to be revelation upon people that do not know God, first, the people that claim to know God, come on, have to rebuild the altars and ask God to set a fire back inside of them, back into their own hearts. And that takes me to the next and final topic. We have to be willing to set on fire. We have to be willing to die, to die for his presence the three Hebrew boys, the fiery furnace, to set on fire. Let's read it, Daniel 3, chapter 15 through 18. It says, now when you hear the song, or when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the, hop, the, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image that I have made good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to, to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And then three powerful, powerful, powerful words right here. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Realize he put a little G there, little G's, not a big G. We will not serve your little G's, nor will we worship the image of gold that you have set up. Here's the interesting thing here. First and foremost, the Babylon kingdom stripped the Hebrew boys from their original God-given names. Their original Hebraic names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. In Hebrew tradition, your name had something to do with your destiny. It meant something. Your name had something to do with who God has called you to be. And it had everything to do with what God is going to do through your life. And so here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king over the Babylonian empire at the time. And for the sake of this morning, let's just say that any time that I say King Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to correlate that with the spirit of the world. King Nebuchadnezzar, the spirit of the world, right, does something to every one of us. He comes and takes Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he takes them from their land, and then he strips them from their God-given name. Remember, that's what Babylon wants to do. They want to take God out of everything. And so that their identity is not in who they are, but it's in what they do. 
Go study it out. Study the three Hebrew boys and what their original God-given names were and study the names that King Nebuchadnezzar gave them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They lost Jehovah, God, in all of their names, and they gained names about what they do. That's, because that's what Babylon, Babylon doesn't want you to know who you are. They only want you to know what you can do. That's why so many celebrities, when they get a little bit of fame, when they get a little bit of money, our football players, our athletes, when they get a little bit of fame, when they get a little bit of money, all of a sudden they lose who they are because now their identity is only in what they do and they literally lose their mind. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a situation now, right? The sound of the music plays, and they remember who they are in God. They remember their inheritance. They they remember, and they stand up for who they are in God, and word gets out on the streets and back to Nebuchadnezzar, and he gets angry, and he says, go and get the boys and bring them before me, because here's what's happening. He's mad because the spirit of the world King Nebuchadnezzar is not influencing the boys. These boys are standing up for who they really are. They wouldn't bow down. They weren't going to allow the pressures of the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, to shape them. They were going to stand in all adversity and face of fear. And that's what they did, right? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get tied up. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. Come on, you guys know the story. Watch this. While they are in the fiery furnace, they get down on their knees because they understand who they are. They know who they are. They know the God that they serve. And so instead of freaking out in the fire like a lot of us do, Instead of freaking out in the circumstances, rather they get down on their knees and they begin to worship in the fire. They are in the fire bound up. And the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar sends out one of his servants to go look and he goes and he peeks and he says, uh, didn't we throw three guys in the furnace? And the king's like, yeah, we threw three guys in the furnace. But he's like, well, there's four of them in there and the fourth one looks like the son of God. <laughs> in other words, it looks like that they were standing for Jesus on the outside and now it looks like that while they were on the inside of their circumstance, Jesus is on the inside standing for them. Come on. Right? When you stand for Jesus on the outside of your trial, when you stand for Jesus, when you're on the outside inside the world in the face of all kinds of adversity, and then you get in the inside, the fire, Jesus will be in there with you. And a couple things about this. Bible, the Bible says that, that they went into the fire bound up. They came out of the fire free. Come on. The Bible says that they went into the fire, a horrible situation, lots of smoke, should have came out smelling real crispy, but the Bible says that they came out not even smelling like smoke. Man. This is what I love. The Bible also says that the fire could not consume them. And I love this about the word because they have this burning fire for Jesus on the inside of them that's so strong that the world's fiery furnace that was on the outside of them, it did not have the ability to be able to consume them because of the fire that they were burning on the inside was stronger than the fire that was on the outside. Come on, right? Man, 
for the sake of illustration, because I'm a youth pastor, so I got to make it visual. I got to help you guys see the picture, right? The sun, you guys know the sun, right? Up in the sky, the sun. The sun has a ton of light that lights up the world. And at night, we get to see the moon. Sometimes it's a full moon, sometimes it's a half moon, sometimes it's a quarter of moon. But the moon has no natural light source within itself. The moon only has the ability to get into position to be able to reflect the light of the sun and it lights up the dark earth. So when the moon is in the right position, it reflects the sunlight and it even lights up nighttime. It lights up dark situations. And so ultimately, the sun is what lights up the earth at night. The moon is just reflecting the sunlight. Come on. But what happens is when we start seeing less of the moon, and sometimes we don't even see the moon at all, the reason why is because the earth has now moved its way in between the sunlight and the reflection of the moon. The things of this earth start moving in between the sunlight and the reflection of the moon. Come on. See, and that's how we should be. We should be sun, S-O-N, reflectors. Like the moon, right? But what happens is we don't burn as bright when we get out of the way of the sun, S-O-N, and we let the things of this earth and the world get in between us and the sun. Come on. We too, we, 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 man, much of the earth has, get, has gotten in between us and him. And, and, and we should be sun reflectors, right, onto the earth. I know, you know, I went a little long this morning, but I'm almost done. I just want to uh, ask you guys this final question. And if I can get the uh, worship team to come on up and help me out with this. I want to ask you guys a final question. What harvest do you want? What harvest do you want? Do you want Lot's harvest? Or do you want John the Baptist's harvest? Because here's Lot's harvest. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a wicked city, right? The Bible says that he was vexed by the filthy conversation of other people around him. In other words, he was righteous, but he was tormented because of all the sinners around him. And Lot decided to be relevant with the culture, and he decided to blend in with the culture. I call that the curse of casual Christianity because you've been so compromised with your walk with God that when God gives you a real word, your own family won't even believe it. Lot has so compromised in his walk with God that two angels come into his house, told him what God was about to do with the city, and when, and when he went to go tell his two son-in-laws, they, bas they basically said this, look, you've been with us this whole entire time, so why only now are you telling us something different when you've been with us for all these other years. And basically, they laughed at him. And you're ready? Judgment came on the city and Lot only won two souls, which were his daughters. But wait, did he really win those two souls? 
he got his two daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he realized that Sodom, the world, was still in them. They got their daddy drunk and they slept with him. So the reality is, he had no harvest. He was relevant with the culture, he blended in with the culture, but he won no one. But here goes John the Baptist. One day he slips out of synagogue and, and, and after hearing Isaiah chapter 40, a voice of one calling from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. All of a sudden John gets awakened to the call is upon his life. And he starts to get a funny feeling that maybe there's something in him that's greater than what he's seeing in synagogue. And all of a sudden, the pressures of heaven to introduce the world's Messiah laid upon him. And the Bible says that he walked down to the Jordan River 18 miles outside of the city. And while he walked, he began to preach to nothing but air. Totally separated from the culture. He was not down at the Jordan River taking selfies, inviting people to his meetings. John the Baptist did not have a Facebook. He didn't have a Twitter. He didn't have a website, no postcards or business cards. He had nothing. He wasn't looking for exposure. He wasn't looking for publicity. He just decided to go to the wilderness all by himself and burn. God, I'll be a voice. I'll be a voice, he cried out. Prepare the way of the Lord. I'll make your path straight. And what he was really saying was, if no one else wants it, God, I'll be out here. I'll prepare it for myself as a way for the Lord. John totally separated himself from the culture to be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, if you're going to change a generation, if we're going to shift a generation, we have to, got, we have to quit blending in with the culture, quit acting like the culture, and we're going to have to make a divine shift in our own life. We're going to have to say, I choose the wilderness. I choose the secret place. I choose to get in my bedroom and begin to pray and begin to read the Bible so that it burns inside of me. It burns so much inside of me that I don't need the book with me to share it with somebody else. I'm going to burn for God. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to give me a platform and a microphone. I'm not going to wait until somebody gives me attention. If i got to go to the wilderness all by myself, that's what I'll do. And here's the crazy thing. After one month, after one month of John out in the wilderness by himself, one month, 40,000 people came to hear John preach. How is that? One month, and here we are. We've never been more gifted. We've never been more talented. We've never had more technology. We've never had more and more and more to advance the kingdom of God. But yet we're seeing less results when John didn't even have anything to advertise with. One man decided to burn in secret, and God, like a magnet, drew those people like metal to him. Because the greater the burn in secret, the greater the shine in public, sun, reflection. So I'm going to ask you again, what harvest do you want? Do you want John the Baptist, or, or do you want Lot's harvest, who just blends in with the culture and wins nobody? Or do you want John the Baptist's harvest, who burns in secret and wins tens of thousands of people for the kingdom? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. 
you have to choose to burn for God. And if he tells you to go to Walmart, then bless God, I'll go to Walmart. If he tells you to go to the gas station, then bless God, I'll go to, this, I'll go to the gas station. I'm not going to wait for man to give me a place to burn. I'm going to burn exactly where I'm at. And if you want to answer that call to be a burning one for Jesus, if you'll make that commitment today to burn for Jesus, I promise you that you'll go one year from now and not even remember who you were one year ago. There's some of you that have lost your fire. You've lost that burn. You lost that fiery devotion that you once had. Some of you have been going through, through just emotions and you need your fire back. And if that's you, I, I'm, I'm going to ask that you just come on up to the front as we sing this song. And I want you to get alone with God and say, God, set a fire deep inside of me. Set a fire deep inside of my soul. I need you to get alone with God and seek his presence. Turn away from the world and all of his desires. Turn away. Repent. That's what repentance is. You turn away from your sin. And say, God, I want to burn. Whatever you ask for, God, if you ask for our shoes, we'll give you your shoes. If you ask for the relationship, we'll give you the relationship. We don't care what the culture says is right. We want to give you what you deserve. We want to be set apart. We choose the wilderness. We choose the way that is narrow. We choose the way that seems strange to men. It even says, do not look to the left or to the right. And I, think, I find that just very interesting because that's where we're at right now with the whole politics, the left and the right. Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. We choose the narrow path. we got to seek his presence. We have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be willing to fight. We have to be willing to die for his presence so that we can change a generation. But it first has to start with us, church. It has to start with us first. Come on. If you choose his presence, I guarantee you, you'll look back from now and not even know who you were. If you activate this word of shifting, you're onto his presence. I guarantee you, not only will it change you, it's going to change those around you, and it's going to change your own circumstances Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever the world is trying to tell you about you, it's going to change. Because then you'll be up, because then you'll be able to understand your true identity. Because the world is trying to strip you, like the three Hebrew boys, your identity in God. If you get alone with God and seek His presence, I promise you, He will show you, and He will tell you who you. That's all you are. You're a daughter. That's all you are. You're my child. That's all you are. Come on. I encourage you guys to come to the front as we sing this song to set a fire deep into our souls that we can't control. Come on, Father God. Just thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for your presence, God. I want you guys to know that every individual that has ever been used mightily by God in the Bible has had to face their fears and do something radical. Can 
you imagine Moses having to face Pharaoh? Can you imagine Joseph having to face the pit and the prison and his brothers? And can you imagine Daniel having to face the lion's den? And can you imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having to face the fiery furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar? And can you imagine David having to face Goliath? And can you imagine, can you imagine Jesus having to face a cross? Everyone who's been used mightily by God had to stand face to face in the trials and overcome every single one of them. Instead of using the book like a book of rolls, the Bible, instead of using the Bible like a book of rolls, I desire you, I, I, I ask that you look at the book as can it show me where you are, God? How can it show me who I am, God? I encourage you guys to come to the front as we sing this song. Prayer partners, I just ask you to come up front and pray for those that are asking for prayer. Anything that you're going through in your life, the trials and circumstances cannot stand in the presence of God.